This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher. Hi, and welcome to a source for you to catch up to past stories here of the week. This is an effort from all of our reporters, editors, and our anchors here at Northwest News Radio. Maybe you only got a headline or two, or maybe you didn't hear the story at all, or want more depth to the story that you just heard recently. This is a way for you to do it. Let's get right to it because we can see that Bill O'Neill, our producer, has really stacked them up here for the stories ending for the week of January 7th. Businesses in King County would be required to carry cash under a proposed ordinance. Details on this one from Jeff Bolgela. The proposal would mandate that all businesses in unincorporated King County have a cash payment option for customers. The issue is equity, according to King County Councilwoman Jean Cole Wells. It's meant to be a matter of access, fair access for those individuals who are either unbanked, can't get a bank account, or are what we call underbanked. She says many customers are left out if businesses only use electronic means of payment, such as credit cards or phones. The proposal is so new that the Association of Washington Business had no comment on the matter, but said they typically don't get involved in local issues. Jeff Pogel in Northwest News Radio. A new law meant to help close the gender wage gap has taken effect. The pay transparency law that took effect Sunday makes Washington one of a handful of states that now require most employers to disclose wage scales or salary ranges in postings, rather than waiting until an offer is made. That range should extend from the lowest to highest possible pay set by the employer before the job posting is published, according to guidance from Washington's Department of Labor and Industries. According to the Seattle Times, the postings must list benefits offered in including health insurance, retirement plans, paid days off, parental leave, and stock options. That legislation is aimed at ensuring companies are offering fair compensation. Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. And moving right along, interest rates climbed quickly, as you know, in 2022. What might we expect here in this year? Bankrate.com's chief financial analyst, Greg McBride, sharing some numbers here with our own Tom Hutler. So for the first full business day of the new year, let's recap a little bit first. As I mentioned, rates went up more quickly than they had in four decades. We're also seeing uh, mortgage rates, credit card rates, car loans, and the like up as well. Yes, uh, we've seen the fastest pace of rate increases, as you noted, in four decades, because inflation was the highest in four decades and remained stubbornly that high. So the Fed raised rates seven times last year, and most of those came in very big chunks. Uh, The work isn't done. I mean, inflation's still right around the 7% mark, so they're going to continue to raise interest rates here in 2023. I expect that they will raise interest rates another full percentage point from where they are now, and uh, they'll complete that by the midpoint of the year and then move to the sidelines. Yeah, you think that'll be probably by the second quarter? Yes. uh, You know, they've got uh, a meeting in May and another one in June. So I think, you know, one of those two is probably the last of the rate hikes that they put into effect. The economy's actually shown a lot more strength than I think was expected at this point, given the number of of rate hikes that they've made. Mm -hmm. So I see them raising rates in the first half of the year. What's not in my forecast is them turning around and starting to cut rates this year. What about CDs and savings? Yeah, this is good news. I mean, you know, last year we saw those uh, returns really move up and savers. If you're shopping around, you're seeing the best uh, returns that you've seen in 14, almost 15 years for things like savings accounts and certificates of deposit. And I I think it's going to get a little bit better from here. The savings accounts, money markets and short term CDs. uh, We've got some room to run right there. I I think you're going to see both of those uh, moving above the five percent mark. Uh, the longer-term CDs, if you've been waiting to lock in that three-year, four-year, or five-year CD, I think that's gonna, those, those returns are going to peak here in the first quarter. So I think that's one you might want to move on sooner rather than later. 
mortgage rates. Uh, I would anticipate maybe this new year not quite as up and down or, or quite as volatile as 2022. Not to the extremes that we saw last year, for sure. Uh, I, I do expect we are going to see some volatility, some up and down in mortgage rates in the first half of the year with a more sustained slide in rates in the back half of the year once the Fed moves to the sidelines and with the outlook for a weaker economic backdrop. But even by year-end, mortgage rates could slide quite a bit. I've got them ending the year at about five and a quarter percent, which would be down one and a half percentage points from where they are now. But that would still be two percentage points higher than where they were Mm. uh, at the end of 2021. What about credit cards? Already at record highs and going to continue to march higher. If the Fed raises rates another full percentage point, your credit card rate is going to go up another full percentage point. All right, Greg. Great to talk to you as always. We'll talk to you again many times throughout the new year, I'm sure. Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. A nationwide construction forecast for 2023 is both promising and challenging. For the story, John Lobertini. The threat of an economic downturn has slowed construction in homes, offices, and hotels. Their expectations for the public sector market have remained relatively bullish. Bullish because there's hundreds of billions of dollars now available for infrastructure, roads, and bridge construction. Stephen Sander is CEO of Associated General Contractors. Many state and local governments have boosted their construction budgets. This includes funding from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, the CHIPS Act, and the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. That said, the impact from supply chain delays expected to remain a problem, and keeping pace with demand is also going to be a challenge. Chief Economist Ken Simonson. 80% report they are having a hard time feeling some or all of their positions. Bottom line, there's a lot of work and money available in public projects. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. Employees at ZeniMax, a subsidiary of Microsoft, have made history. We learned they now make up the largest unionized workforce in the video game industry and the first for Microsoft. Shannon Liao did a story for the Washington Post and shared with us these details of the story. Shannon, what happened this week to make this unionization effort possible? So this week, Zenimax workers were able to get their union approved by Microsoft, um, and that's the largest union uh, gaming union in North America. Um, and it's a huge win for the video game industry workers who have been you know, advocating for uh, getting paid more and working fewer hours and just having like a better work-life balance and being treated more fairly. So that is uh, the pro- product of two years of their work, uh, gathering support across their department in secret and making sure that um, management didn't catch on until they were ready to go public. You know, this process is really interesting to me because when we think about the video game industry, yeah, there's always something new coming out, which makes it seem like a really young industry. But Pong, it's 51 years old now. It came out in 1972. Folks have been building video games for a long, long time. Um, is this the start of something bigger or or a one-off within what is now a, an older industry? Yeah, this is actually a pretty, um, you know, it's, it's an industry with several decades uh under its belt, a little bit uh, younger than the film industry or, you know, the tech industry. But uh, the gaming industry has not been unionized in North America over the past two years. This is a new movement, um, just, you know, following the tale of uh, Starbucks or Chipotle. Um, Now, you know, Microsoft has the the first gaming union, but Activision Blizzard is another one with, sorry, not not the first gaming union, but the the biggest. Um, And then before that was Activision Blizzard with uh, Raven Software, which makes Call of Duty. They have about 20 quality assurance testers who unionized. And there's also some um, at uh, Blizzard Albany, which is their Albany office. 
uh, and they make Diablo, and they also work on World of Warcraft as well, and they're unionizing. So this is actually a movement across the entire industry um, as quality assurance testers who are some of the lowest paid workers in the industry uh, advocate for, for better wages because, you know, they enter the industry and they're testing these games for, for bugs and glitches. And uh, the stereotype for a quality assurance tester is that they're just, you know, playing games for fun, so they shouldn't be paid that much money. But actually, the testers are, you know, really advocating for quality of life wages and saying that they're being underappreciated and undervalued. And that's really driving the force of this like unionization movement across the industry. And it's going to be interesting to see who organizes next, especially if the Microsoft deal to buy Activision Blizzard for $69 billion, if that is approved and they make that juggernaut of, of video game development. You can read a lot more about this online at WashingtonPost.com from Shannon Liao. As Taylor Van Sice of Northwest News Radio, a canceled flight between Portland and New Orleans has prompted a lawsuit against Southwest Airlines. In a proposed class action, Louisiana resident Eric Captain is accusing the airline of breach of contract. Reuters reports that when Captaville's December 27th flight was canceled and he was unable to find alternate transportation, the airline only offered him a credit instead of a refund or reimbursement as it had promised. Southwest has issued a statement saying it had no comment on the lawsuit. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. Just ahead, we'll look at some local politics and some national findings that affect us here locally as we continue Northwest News this week, ending for the week of January 7th. Let us continue now. This story, an upcoming legislative bill would relaunch the process of choosing a new regional airport site. The bill sponsored by State Representative Tom Dent of Moses Lake says the COVID pandemic limited the public outreach necessary to identify a preferred location, either for expanding an existing commercial airport or to site a so-called greenfield, undeveloped land where an all-new airport would rise by 2040. Rob Hodgman is lead planner for the State Commercial Aviation Coordinating Commission. The area that is identified for greenfield sites is the area within 100 miles of Seattle and west of the Cascades. And the reason for that is that largest population density in the state is in the greater Seattle metropolitan Puget Sound region. Increasingly, elected officials in Pierce County worry that against their wishes, the commission will settle on their county for the needed greenfield space. County Executive Bruce Dameyer tells the News Tribune he will lean on legislators from Pierce County to amplify concerns voiced by county government, tribes, and environmentalists. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher, and you're listening to Northwest News This Week, ending for the week of January 7th. Stay with us. You're listening to Northwest This Week. Welcome back. Washington senior U.S. Senator is now the first woman to serve as a Senate President Pro Tem. Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris asked for a key question. You will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office upon which you are about to enter, so help you God. I do. Congratulations. The first female vice president, Kamala Harris, administering the oath to Democratic Senator Patty Murray as she takes another important step forward for women. The position is more than just keeping order and banging the Senate gavel. It puts her third in line behind the VP and Speaker of the House in the presidential line of succession. So I asked Murray point blank, should the unthinkable happen? Are you prepared to be president of the United States? 
On the off chance that that day happens, I'm doing everything I can to prepare myself, making sure that I know the issues of the day, both domestically and foreign, keeping up to speed, being briefed, and knowing what I would need to do should that day ever happen. Murray says she hopes when young women see her accession, they remember they can achieve any goal. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Ryan. Washington Democratic Party Chair Tina Podlodowski says she will not seek re-election. Podlodowski has served as chair of the Democratic Party since 2017. In that time, she has seen the party grow its majorities in Olympia and even flip the typically conservative 3rd Congressional District. In a statement, Podlodowski says she has accomplished what she set out to do and that it is time to pass the torch to a new generation of leaders. A new chair of the Washington State Democratic Party will be selected at the party's state committee meeting later this month. Jeff Pogel in Northwest News Radio. In southwest Washington, a city council member has resigned, telling her mayor her colleagues treated her disrespectfully. It happened in the city of Woodland. After a year in office, Jennifer Rowland has resigned from the Woodland City Council. The resignation came shortly after a December meeting, during which she made an impassioned argument against escalating water bills. I mean, we had people in tears saying, I'm telling my kid, you can't take a shower today. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't be okay with that. I have kids that I work with every day at the schools that literally don't have running water at their house. In a letter of resignation quoted in the Longview Daily News, Roland tells the mayor other council members would, quote, interrupt me, roll their eyes, and then dismiss me. Roland had been in office nearly a year. The Daily News reports while running for office, she received negative attention for comments she made on her personal Facebook page showcasing her progressive values. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. The next step in recycling across our state was unveiled this past week at the Seattle Aquarium. Making more trash recyclable. It's an easy argument when you consider just 17% of all plastic packaging is actually recycled. The system isn't going to change by itself. State Senator Christine Rolfus is co-sponsor of the Washington Recycling and Packaging Act. It builds on four years of work in the legislature, increase recycled content in packaging, and achieve 100% recyclable, reusable, or compostable packaging. Packaging that can be turned into recycled products. State Representative Liz Berry. It's a monumental opportunity to take $100 million of consumer packaging that's going into the landfill today and turn that into valuable commodities. A bottle deposit system is also in the bill, and experts will tell you the environment could use some help. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. As we move right along here and a way for you to catch up in the stories of the past week here at Northwest News this week, recent polling of Americans suggests parents are not nearly as divided as some reporting might suggest when it comes to civics education in our public schools. In fact, an overwhelming majority in several polls shows parents want schools to focus on the country's founding ideas. Several polls were taken last summer gauging the American parent on issues dividing education. One of the main issues, do you want your child educated in founding principles of the country? It's history, including slavery and other ideals formulating America's founding. 89% said they want that education for their children. Former Washington State Republican Senator Hans Zeiger now presides over the Jack Miller Center, a nonprofit that works with civic educators, and they found similar results in their own study. He told KVS John Carlson he doesn't blame teachers. Teachers don't get the kind of professional development support that they need to really understand or be equipped to teach uh, America's founding documents. Zeiger says it's up to motivated parents to pressure school boards to include civics curriculum. 
Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals says a former Washington teacher can sue his former boss for infringing on his free speech rights. It's an incident that happened way back in 2019. Eric Dodge was a middle school teacher at the time in Vancouver. During a teacher training day, he chose to wear his red ball cap with the letters M-A-G-A across the front. Principal Caroline Garrett called him out, saying if he wore it to school again, he should bring his union rep with him. Dodge did wear the MAGA hat again to another day where there were no students, only teachers. According to court documents, the principal called him a racist, a bigot, a homophobe, and a liar, and swore at him for having his hat with him again. Both the teacher and the principal resigned the next year, but the case has been in court ever since, with this latest ruling saying the teacher can proceed with suing his former boss for taking what it called adverse employment actions against him. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. The man who was chief of the U.S. Capitol Police during the January 6th riot says the security problems that existed that day have still not been fixed. Steve Sun fears it could happen again unless changes are made. The security structure on the Hill is a recipe for disaster. It's politicized. Uh, people don't realize that I am the only police chief in the country that has federal laws that prevent me from bringing in federal resources. The resources I needed on January 6th without getting approval of the Capitol Police Board uh, which are put in place by, by politically uh, aligned leadership. He says intelligence signals were missed on January 6th, even though they thought that was fixed after 9-11. Add to that, the new GOP House leadership has ordered the metal detectors removed. He calls the overall situation a recipe for disaster. Steve Sunt has written a book about his experiences during the riot. It's titled Courage Under Fire, Under Siege, and Outnumbered 58 to 1 on January 6th. Greg Herschel to Northwest News Radio. COVID creates some air rules. And speaking of airplane travel, SeaTac Airport apparently getting an honor this past week. Those stories in our next segment. We also had the story of Pope Francis among tens of thousands of people to bid farewell to his predecessor, a rarity in history this past week that saw a current Pope preside over Mass for the pontiff who preceded him. NSD La Catera covered the story for ABC News from Paris. And as Benedict XVI was a Pope, but this farewell had a much different feel than what we're used to. Yeah, that's right. You know, it was interesting to compare this ceremony, this funeral, to the funeral of other popes, specifically of Pope John Paul II, which is, of course, the most recent funeral of a pope that we've seen. This funeral uh, was simple and solemn. That was in line with what Benedict wanted. A Vatican spokesperson had said that Benedict seemed to have left instructions, and he had asked for his funeral to be simple. It was, of course, simple by Vatican standards. So it was still a grand affair. It still took place on St. Peter's Square. You know, it was presided over by Pope Francis, and roughly 160,000 people showed up. But that's, you know, just a little over half of the amount of people who showed up for Pope John Paul II's funeral. So roughly 300,000 people came out for that. In that case, there were over 100 leaders and, and heads of state who were invited to that funeral. In this case, uh, the Vatican invited just two official delegations, one from Italy and one from Benedict's home country of Germany. We did see some other leaders, you know, voluntarily decide to show up, such as the the leaders of uh, Poland, Hungary. There were members of various European uh, royal families. But um, it was, compared to Pope John Paul II's funeral, it was definitely a smaller, more subdued affair. Yeah, you know, there was a time when we might not have imagined an American president not being there for the funeral of a pope. That's right. Yeah, President Biden was one of those people who was not there today. And, um, you know, there were a number of world leaders who were not there either, who put out statements and, and, and you know, or, or made 
comments in, in the aftermath of his passing to honor him, but who did not make it out to his funeral. There could be a few reasons for that. So one, you know, Pope Benedict XVI was more controversial. He was someone who spoke out against things like gay marriage or the ordination of women. He was also, you know, uh, plagued with issues, these, the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church that he was the, the first pope to really tackle that, and he was the first pope to meet with victims, but he was also criticized for not doing enough. So uh, he was more controversial. That might be part of the reason, uh, you know, had the state decided not to attend. It could also just be the fact that he he was not a sitting pope. He was a former pope, and he'd been, you know, um, a former pope since 2013 when he decided to step down and, and made history by becoming the first pope in 600 years to step down. So that might also be part of the reason why we saw, you know, this being kind of a more um, more more simple and more subdued funeral. And to that and Benedict's decision to retire, it, it might be a game changer there at the Vatican. And we do have some inklings Francis has at least had this notion in his head. That's right, yeah. And I think uh, actually one of the most powerful moments out of today was when Francis said goodbye to uh, the former pope. He put his hand on his coffin. He bowed his head and he blessed the coffin. And Francis appeared quite frail today. Um, when he first came out, he came out in a wheelchair when he said goodbye to Benedict's coffin, he did stand, but uh, he had a cane and he, you know, didn't appear uh, uh, at his best. Um, and there have certainly been a lot of concerns about Francis's health. So we have repeatedly seen him appear in a wheelchair in recent months. And, uh, you know, over the summer, there was speculation that he might decide to step down as well. We know the two men had a special relationship. Benedict was living on the Vatican grounds. Uh, up until he he passed on on Saturday, and we know Francis would often go to visit Benedict and go to him for advice. So, given that relationship, and given the fact that Francis's health is is also you know declining, the big question is whether Francis could decide to follow Benedict's lead and also decide to step down. And if he does, then what we saw today could be you know the the new norm uh, going forward. ABC's Inez De Licotero with us on the Northwest Newsline. Just reminders that Northwest News this week is available as a podcast twenty four seven at our website at nwnewsradio.com. And during the weekend, caught at various times on air, like right now here at Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and FM 97.7. More of the top stories for the weekending, January 7th, straight ahead. You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher. I'm Mark Christopher. Welcome back. The accused Moscow murderer had his first court appearance in Idaho this past week. Ryan Koberger heard the charges against him and learned how detectives were able to solve the case. The judge magistrate read each of the charges against the 28-year-old accused killer, including four counts of first-degree murder for the stabbing deaths of those University of Idaho students. If you plead guilty or are found guilty, is death and or imprisonment for life. Do you understand? Yes. The court documents made public just before the hearing reveal that one of the uninjured roommates actually heard the noise upstairs, hearing someone crying, and then came face to face with the suspect, who she says wore a mask as he fled out a door. She says she froze in fear and locked herself in her room, never calling police. The documents also reveal that a knife sheath was left behind at the crime scene, and it had DNA. Once that white Hyundai was identified as a suspect vehicle, police were soon on the trail of Koberger. His next court appearance in one week, no bail for the accused killer. 
Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio. A young man who was jailed by immigration authorities despite being a DACA recipient has settled with the government. Details now from Northwest News Radio's Jeff Poljula. Then 24-year-old Daniel Ramirez was arrested in 2017 during ICE's crackdown on illegal immigration. Authorities had gone to his Des Moines home to arrest his father, a previously deported felon, but arrested Ramirez as well, accusing him of having gang ties, something that Ramirez denies. Now, he was held for more than six weeks, but now settling a potential lawsuit, neither side admits wrongdoing and no money is changing hands. Assistant U.S. Attorney Nick Ball. The government is happy, doesn't have to pay any money, but the plaintiff is given an opportunity to remain in the United States with and uh, have time with his family. Ramirez has been given a four-year stay of deportation, conditional on that he not break any laws. Jeff Pogel in Northwest News Radio. Now for a couple of stories dealing with air travel. This past week, air travelers from certain countries were once again required to test negative for COVID before arriving on parts of this continent. Brian Calvert talks about the policy change and the new variant that put it into play. Late last year, a new Omicron variant made its presence known here in North America. It's called XBB 1.5, and by the end of the year, it was responsible for almost half of all the new COVID infections here in the U.S. A lot of the uh, understanding of where we are publicly is that the pandemic is over, which it isn't. Dr. Dale Kalina says making matters worse is everything else that's making us sick right now. And RSV, flu, colds, um, and COVID mixed with fewer healthcare uh, workers, frankly. And it's just as bad up in Canada. So that country is reintroducing requirements for air travelers from China, Hong Kong, and Macau to test negative for COVID before ever flying into the Great White North. It's been several months since anyone in North America has required this specific type of testing targeting countries where COVID is pretty bad. Chak Ao is a city council member in Richmond near Vancouver, B.C. He says locals are pretty upset. And they all express concerns about uh, not having uh, any kind of measures to track the uh, truffles. Now those measures are coming out of hibernation, bringing other familiar voices back out into the conversation, like that of Dr. Bonnie Henry, who advised BC through the first two years of COVID. Is pre-departure testing going to prevent strains from coming here? Absolutely not. We know that. We know that these strains are, are already here. And Dr. Isaac Bogach, who tells Global News. A policy like this will not impact the COVID trajectory. What it will do, some fear, is spark the racism some experienced during the first couple years of the pandemic, especially with the hot spots once again being Asian locations. I understand that people might concern about uh, whether this will cause people um, to have a bias against the local Chinese community. I hope this is not going to happen. Former Vancouver City Council member Tung Chan is also trying to remain positive. And we have to educate that ignorance, try to break that association between the people's appearance and where they are from. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Still to come here on Northwest News this week, ending for the week of January 7th, we have an update in the case of the power vandals from Christmas time and electric vehicles. Emergency road service. Is there such a service available? 
Those stories are just ahead. Seattle Tacoma International Airport, among the world's top performing airports, in case you missed this story. Aviation analytics company Sirium has released its 2022 list of the most on-time airports and airlines. Sirium ranked airports by their percentage of on-time arrivals, defined as those arriving within 15 minutes of their scheduled gate time. SeaTac Airport was ranked eighth globally for its record of 81% on-time arrivals. Tokyo Haneda Airport was ranked first with over 90%. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher. More of Northwest News this week, coming up. This is Northwest News This Week. As we continue, the feds have arrested two Puyallup men for the Christmas Day attacks on South Sound power stations. 32-year-old Matthew Greenwood and 40-year-old Jeremy Crayan both have been charged with conspiracy to damage energy facilities, a federal crime punishable by up to 20 years in prison. But U.S. Attorney Nick Brown says it does not appear that the attack was politically motivated. There is a reference in the complaint to them being motivated to commit a burglary that might have been powered by the power station. However, the investigation is ongoing. The attacks on Christmas morning left thousands without power. Jeff Pogel at Northwest News Radio. January 1st saw the start of two new laws which are critical to Governor Jay Inslee's climate agenda. Let's find out what they are. Here's Ryan Harris. With transportation the leading cause of greenhouse gas emissions, the state's new clean fuel standard is expected to make a huge dent, says Department of Ecology Director Laura Watson. So by 2034, we will cut transportation fuel emissions by 20%. So that's 4.3 million metric tons every year. And that equates to taking about 900,000 cars off the road. The Cap and Invest program sets a limit on industrial emissions, holds four annual auctions for carbon allowances, and then uses the Money for more climate initiatives with that cap dwindling each year. It's not clear how much money the auctions will net, but previous attempts in other states have come with disappointing results. Meanwhile, Ecology promises the laws will only raise gas about a penny a gallon this year with a roughly 1% increase in energy costs. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Guaranteed income for people living on the edge in Tacoma. A year later, we're seeing things are positive. Starting last January, 110 families started receiving $500 a month. Working people who couldn't qualify for welfare but didn't earn enough to pay the bills. The whole effort was designed to demonstrate. The United Way of Pierce County helped broker the program. CEO Donna Ponapento. That a modest cash investment could improve economic stability, housing security, mental health, and help to reduce poverty. This was guaranteed income, no strings attached, and there's growing evidence nationwide this is improving lives. That $500 went back into the community. It was really showing that, you know, we can help improve people's lives with just a very modest cash assistance. Last year, a bill that would have provided a guaranteed income for some of Washington's poorest families failed in the state legislature, but advocates are trying again this year. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. The Consumer Electronics Show begins, and it may offer some clues as to what we should expect from tech in the new year. Tatum Hunter is our tech reporter for the Washington Post. As you put it in your report, CES is not a crystal ball for the near future, and none of us are walking around with a smart hairbrush or 3D TVs. They've, they've flamed out by now. But let's dig into this guide here. How will the metaverse, for example, develop in 2023? 
Um, the metaverse will continue to develop in 2023, um, and that is just as lame an answer as it sounds. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> if, if, anyone, if, if, if anyone was, uh, if any metaverse haters, for example, um, you know, got got shiny eyes when Meta did layoffs recently. Um, you know, don't don't celebrate just yet. There are a lot. There's a lot of metaverse technology still in development at companies like Sharp and Canon. Um, we're going to see Meta competitors. And even if you don't find yourself, you know, taking uh, video calls with a headset on or you know, traipsing through a virtual realm at your house. It is still on the horizon, um, and it's still going to get a lot of buzz this year. I might be in the minority of, of millennials now at this point, but I, I've never even put on one of those headsets yet. Ooh, it's um, it's both more and less than what you expect. Uh, you know what I mean? I think that it has a long way to go, but it's still so interesting to see um, everything everything that they've come up with. You know, a lot of folks probably got some smart gadgets over the holidays, but some of us are letting the old devices, the smart devices, gather dust because... They don't really play nicely with each other. How is that going to change this year? So those walled gardens, as we call them, where, you know, all of your Amazon devices only talk to each other, all of your Google and Apple devices only talk to each other, um, could start to open up. And this has been a long time in the making. There was a, you know, unified standard called Matter that's been teased for quite a while. Its release got delayed, but now it is out. So this might be the first CES where we see a true wave of products that are Matter compatible, which means that they can talk to each other even if they're not from the same manufacturer. Um, and then, and, and kind of on a side note, there's other, um, you know, playing nicely together stories in the works too. Um, you know, Apple has said that it will comply with the European Union's requirement for USB-C charging. If you're an Apple product person, you're probably familiar with, you know, the charger changes and then you have to throw them out and get all new ones. Uh, and, and that could, that could change. And streaming services also in your report, they, they've allowed me to cut the cord. I, I don't need to pay for a cable package anymore, but they're also trying to throw in some more sources of revenue and maybe I have to watch ads again soon. Yeah, there it is, is, you know, kind of like what we said about the metaverse. There's just so much instability here where you know that like tides are going to shift and new players will emerge and existing players might fall on their faces. Um, you, you know, you might see some companies responding to that by, like you said, introducing new ad based tiers for um, a little bit less money, but some more ads. You also might see big players merging, like the kind of impending HBO Max Discovery Plus mashup. Uh, so if your goal is to have it all in one place, uh, you might be happy or you might be bummed that your favorite that your favorite service makes some changes you don't like. There's a lot more ahead in 2023 and at the CES Consumer Electronics Show. You can read all about it online at WashingtonPost.com from Tatum Hunter. When your car runs out of fuel, you can call and someone will bring you a gallon of gasoline. But what if you drive an electric car and your battery goes dry? Brian Calvert says one roadside assistance provider is adapting its fleet with plenty of adapters. Most EV owners realize among the perks of owning cars that don't require gas come the perils, like if you don't know where all the charging stations are or you misjudge the distance by a few miles, you could be left high and dry. Up until now, you've had to call a tow truck. Now, all you have to do is call AAA. This truck is really a, a trendsetter. Spokesperson Marie Dodds is referring to their new fleet of mobile charging trucks. After a pilot program over the last decade, AAA is rolling out a fleet of these charging trucks in the Redmond, Seattle area, as well as 13 other markets, including Portland, where... We're getting about one to four calls a month for the truck. Cody Bentley operates one of the trucks. He tells KGW.com. The unit is kind of a smart generator, and it cycles through different colored lights, so we wait for it to turn bright green 
screen and then your vehicle is ready to plug in. Once we plug it in and it's pulling a charge, the generator will display blue and then we charge your vehicle for 30 minutes. When AAA shows up for my gas guzzler, they usually offer me a gallon of gas. Cody, how much juice do you offer an EV driver? It depends on the EV, but that should give you a range of about 25 miles, enough to get you home, to a charging station, somewhere to avoid a tow. We look at serving electric vehicles as a safety issue. That's a pretty good point. The sooner they can get you off the highway shoulder, the safer it is for everyone. Having to tow you takes a lot more time, which means there's the potential for something really bad to happen. AAA plans to roll out the EV roadside assistance to even more locations this year, helping to keep you and your computer on wheels moving. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Just ahead, if you've been keeping track of the Seattle Kraken hockey team and the National Hockey League, boy, is it a turnaround from last year. And one of the true ultimate experiences of hockey coming to the Northwest and Seattle Kraken will be involved. You'll want to hear this in our next segment. And this story we grab off the desk of Corwin Hake, reporter at Northwest News. Engineers at Washington State University believe the Department of Defense will take a keen interest in their cherry red 18-inch long submarine, even though it never goes all the way underwater. It's called a semi-submersible vehicle, and WSU engineers expect to prove the full-size version will outperform a fully submersible submarine for certain missions and, according to the university, efficiently serve military, commercial, and research purposes. A vessel that never fully submerges need not withstand the full pressure of being underwater, and yet its low profile, operating virtually at the waterline, makes it almost as undetectable as a sub. They can also operate like drones with no humans on board. WSU project lead Professor Constantine Matviev says his lab is collaborating with the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, to work on the vehicle's operational capabilities. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. The goal simply was to give you a way to catch up on stories of the past week, and we hope you are impressed of this program, Northwest News, this week, that you'll tell your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers you found a way to catch up. And a reminder, it is a podcast at nwnewsradio.com. We have plenty more just ahead here. Northwest This Week continues. First week of the new year. It's been a busy time, especially for Seattle Seahawks fans and 12s, as we uh, hope the best for the Seahawks. Also, a lot of attention to Seattle Kraken hockey. Seattle hockey fans get exciting news. And what an opportunity as Bill Sports has specifics on the NHL's winter outdoor classic. Since 2008, the National Hockey League has staged outdoor games in mostly baseball stadiums, including yesterday's Penguins-Bruins battle at Boston's Fenway Park. Left circle now, Hall cuts in, couldn't get away a backhand, they score! Jake DeBrusque has got a pair, he grabbed it back door, buried it just inside the far post, Bruins 2, Penguins 1. Before the contest, Commissioner Gary Bettman announced a future venue and teams. We're going to Seattle. We're going to play in T-Mobile Park, and they're going to play... The Seattle Kraken are going to play the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, the news certainly pleased Kraken players like rookie center Matty Beneers. I went to a couple of winter classics. Um, 
when I was growing up. So they were pretty cool to go to, and being able to play in one would be would be pretty sweet. Teammate Yanni Gord fired up about special uniforms and national attention. Playing in the Winter Classic, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It's uh, pretty exciting, and uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. I I always wanted to uh, to be a, a part of one, so that's that's great. Last September, the Kraken approached the NHL about hosting the Outdoor Winter Classic, Husky Stadium, Lumen Field, possible venues. But in case you didn't know, it rains around New Year's Day in Seattle. So T-Mobile Park, with its retractable roof, sealed the deal. And goalie Philip Grubauer is fired up. Old school hockey, my skier out on the pond as a kid, (laughs) yeah. Layout for the ice in relation to the baseball field at T-Mobile Park seating is yet to be determined. And details about pricing and when tickets go on sale will come out from the NHL at a later date. Bill Schwartz, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Bill. Another story we want to make sure that you were able to hear. A coffee shop in Seattle? That's not unusual. What is different is a coffee shop that fixes your bike while you work. Carwin Hake found this story. Every office has one, that guy or gal who commutes on two wheels. Hey there, Ted. Um, would you like a washcloth? I think one of the hardest things as a bike commuter or a cyclist in general is when you get to wherever you're going, you are oftentimes wet. That's Michael Krauss, creator of Pioneer Square's new Cassette Club, where cycling commuters can grab a coffee on their way in, rent a locker, take a shower, and leave their bike safely on site. And it'll be here waiting for you nice and clean, tuned up when you're ready to head back home. Although Krauss wouldn't mind if you stuck around after work. He tells the Seattle Channel he has another business at the same location, Hoot, a beer bodega. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. And there you have another full week of stories just to get the new year started. We hope you found use of this program to help you catch up and just really get rolling for 2023. We have a show for you each and every week. Northwest News this week, heard every week, in fact, at this time on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and FM 97.7. Also, as a podcast for your convenience at nwnewsradio.com. That's where you'll find other favorites like Politicast with Jeff Poltula, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and Huge Sound Now with our very own Bill Swartz. And if you do enjoy this program as a podcast, we hope you'll give it a rating and a review. Simple to do at Apple Podcasts. We thank you for taking time to do that. Northwest News This Week is produced by Bill O'Neill. Editor and tech advisor is Painter Webb. On behalf of all of us here at Northwest News Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Mark Christopher. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.